It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 607 at News Talk WSB. Welcome, friends. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I am here to help you be more successful doing whatever the heck you want to do in your garden, and it's going to be a relatively pleasant day to do it in. Maybe a couple of showers this morning, but then this afternoon warming up. Yesterday afternoon, much more pleasant than I thought it was going to be. It was pretty nice, and I know that because I was outside because I took a little stroll through the Chattahoochee Nature Center up there in what do we call it, Roswell, I guess, and uh, had a just delightful time walking through the Chattahoochee Nature Center, seeing the owls and the hawks and the and the eagle and uh, the beaver. Saw a beaver. You know, I don't believe I've ever seen a beaver up close, other than a couple I've seen that have been killed alongside the highway. But this was a real live beaver that I saw yesterday. The lady who was uh, feeding the beavers put a little apple on the side of the beaver pool. They have an enclosure in which the beaver lives. And um, she put an apple right there on top of the side of the pool. And the beaver came up out of the water, grabbed that apple, went back down into the water. I thought maybe he was going to eat the apple underneath the water surface. But no, he climbed up on the other end of the pool and ate that apple just like that. 15 feet away from me. It was interesting. It was really interesting. Beaver look completely different from what you might remember from the Disney pictures and things like that, where usually their fur is, is sli- well, it's, it's, it's dry, usually, is the thing. It's dry. Whereas the beaver that I saw yesterday looked oily. And it was just, as the interpreter told us, that's just because it has a waterproof hair, the pelt on a beaver. Uh, is is semi-waterproof, and so I guess it has some kind of oily sheen to it that keeps the water from making the hair uh, mat down too much so you can still swim through the water pretty easily. And um, it was interesting to see a beaver up that close. So Chattahoochee Nature Center is a great place to go. Some of you right now probably are driving up there. They've got a big water uh, race today. It's a road race. 5K or 10K or something like that, but they had lots of, you know, signs and porta johns and getting ready for registration and all that kind of stuff at the Chattahoochee Nature Center. And when I visited yesterday, that's going on this morning. And if you're going to the Chattahoochee Nature Center, or if you're just planning on going out this afternoon and want some place to go that's really interesting and really fun to see, I recommend it highly. The Chattahoochee Nature Center off of Azalea Drive, Willio Road. Up there off of, uh, I guess, off of Roswell Road. My number on Lawn and Garden, 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. Any reminders of things to do in the garden? Today would be, oh man, you, you heard me. I've repeated this two or three times because I can't believe the opportunity we were presented in the spring to kill fire ants. And you remember the details on how to kill fire ants. This is absolutely the best way in the world to kill all the fire ants in your lawn, in your pasture, in your you know, roadways beside the house, if you have fire ant mounds now, you're going to have a lot more over the next six or seven months. If you control them now, you'll have 
sometimes absolutely zero for the next six or seven months. And there's a simple way to do it, but most people do not know the simple way. The simple way is to take two steps to control fire ants. First step, put bait out. And the only bait that I'm aware of that works uh, and is reasonably available to everyone is called Amdro, A-M-D-R-O. It's a little plastic bottle that you can shake. You take the lid off and shake it a little bit. It puts a, a few granules with this powder. It doesn't take much, just a, you know, a teaspoon usually per mound. And what you do with the Amdro is you go out to all the mounds that you can see, and then maybe some of the mounds that you can't see too, just sort of do a general scattering out on the lawn. And what happens is the bait is so attractive to all the ants that are feeding right now because our fire ants are starving. They haven't had anything to eat all winter long. So all the fire ants in, the, in your lawn and pasture are going up to look for something to eat. And they see that bait and they think, oh, man, this is great. Let's go feed it to mama. And they take the bait downstairs into the, into the mound, feed it to the queen. She gradually dies over the next couple of days. Without a queen, the whole mound dies. The whole mound dies without a queen. And because all the little mounds that are out around the big mound, they get some of that bait too and take it down to their queen, they die as well. If you want a little bit faster action after the bait, then wait a day and then put mound drench onto the big mounds that you can see and kill all the workers that are still inside there mourning the death of their queen. But the two-step process, bait first, Mound treatment after either with a powder or a drench or something like that, I think works wonderfully well. What I don't particularly care for are the bait poisons that come in the 20-pound bag that you spread just willy-nilly over your whole landscape. Yes, they kill fire ants. Yes, they also kill all the good pollinators that live in the ground, the spiders and the ground beetles that uh, are beneficial insects, plus the pollinating bees. They just kill everything. And that I don't like much at all. So I'm not a real proponent of the one poison kills all kind of fire ant control. I'm a proponent of first the bait, then the mound drench, and then you got them on the run. Everybody is, mm, is fire ant free. Down in Spalding County, they have lots of fire ants down there, but I know one person who's always looking for a fire ant mound that she can take care of, and that is my friend Nicole. Good morning, Nicole. Mr. Reeve. You got fire ants? Um... Not maybe one mound, but I take care of it way. Well, if you have one mound, that's the mound you see. And then there are about six or seven other little mounds that can't get big because the big mound is competing with them. And so it's suppressing the little mounds. As soon as you kill that big mound, all the little mounds will pop up and they'll try to be the big mound. So if your neighbor's got some, you're going to have some. If it? your neighbor's got some, you're going to have some. But if you use this bait and then treat method that I'm describing, you are, to a certain extent, controlling your neighbor's mounds, too, because his ants are foraging on your property. There's no property line the ants respect. And so if you put some of the bait by the side of your property line with your neighbor that has all those fire ants, you'll kill his, too. Well, uh, you see, on the bag, it changed over the years, isn't it? It used to be like you put it there. Now you have to water right away. Well, if it's a powder, yes. But there's some... Um, some treatments that you mix with water. You put it in a gallon bucket and mix it up good and then pour it onto the mound. And that works real well, too. That's not a powder, but it's a drench. Okay, okay. 
Uh, talking about beaver, uh, beaver are the uh, animal from Canada. The, you guys, it's eagle, <laughs> us is the beaver. <laughs> but Mr. Reed, they are so bad. You know why? What? Because I have a friend that has uh, got land, okay? He said, you cannot walk in the wood anymore because the tree are falling on your head. <laughs> I mean, they're just like, oh, the big are. time, there's too many of them. They sure do. It's not funny when it's your trees in your backyard, the beaver is chewed down and used to make the uh, beaver mound or hut or whatever they call the beaver place where they live. But, uh, you know, we have cartoons about Bucky Beaver and everything that make a beaver sort of like a, you know, a pet or something like that. But, yeah, they can really cut some trees down. They sure can. It doesn't take much. Just overnight, the big trees can be gnawed at the base and down they come. Well, it was so bad at one point when I was a kid that they were saying that even if they put dynamite... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get rid of them. It is so well constructed because they work night and days to fill yes, up this indeed. water hole. They they hate the sound of running water, and so beavers make dam, and the dams, you know, raise the water level, and then they can make their own housing there in the in the in the rising water. But yeah, I've heard too that if you dynamite the beaver dam or dynamite the beaver house is still going to be one or two survivors somewhere that weren't home when the blast went off and those survivors then go out and build their own ponds and their own beaver dam and so you never really get fully you know there's no no beaver control method like my fire ant control method um they are very family oriented mm -hmm. though because they take one mate i think yeah. for life and uh, they take care of the babies and the mother work as hard as the father yeah but once those babies have grown up enough to be on their own boy they drive them out they just say get the heck out of here and that's how beavers spread throughout a neighborhood or throughout a uh, land area is the baby beaver or the teenage beavers i guess are just driven away by the male beaver he says you go on and make your own family go on and do your own business out here well, it should be the same thing in life. <laughs> Drive those children out. No more kids living in the basement. No, none of that. Yes, that's right. Uh, I cut my big pamper grass yesterday. Pamper oh, grass. So cut it uh, down. Good for you. Well, I was a little late this year. Oh, yeah. the, the climate was earlier than I was. Yeah, yeah. All the green is... I mean, a lots of green was out, and I think one time I did that, and there was no feather on top. No? Yes or no? Don't worry too much. If you cut this early, even though, yeah, I recognize there were lots of green blades and stems coming out, I don't think that's going to keep it from flowering in the summer fall. I don't. What killed the big uh, pampa grass is too much water, isn't it? Too much water, and sometimes <laughs> a couple of people describe burning theirs, which I'm not sure is the greatest thing for pampas grass. Just to set it on fire, that doesn't sound good. That'll kill it, I think. And maybe the other one that I've noticed a lot is when you prune pampas grass a little too high in the wintertime, the middle of it will get dark and uh, won't grow much at all in the middle, and so it turns into sort of a, a donut of pampas grass, which isn't all that attractive. Well, I put a lot of soil, good soil, in the yeah. middle of it and tried to grow something like uh -huh. uh, Titania. Yeah, you can do that. Have, you, have you actually been successful growing things in the middle of a pampas grass clump? 
I'm trying every year. <laughs> I don't know why, because I can't. There's too much drainage, isn't it? Even I it put could a piece be, of yeah. There's water, water that yeah. goes through the potty soil could kill the rest of the pampas grass clump in there. I guess it could. That's, uh, but I love the attitude, Nicole, that you are experimenting, trying every year. There are some things that I do, try every year, and one year I'll get it right, or one year I'll give up and say, I just can't get this done, can't do it. It just takes a good man to help me to, because one year we dug it up yeah. and we made 12 out oh, One gosh, big yeah. one, we made 12 out of it. Yeah. So that's why I line in between the house, you know. And now is the time to do If you have a pompous grass clump and you want to divide it and make 10, 12 little baby grass clumps out of it, now is the perfect time, just when the new growth is starting. Now is a great time. Long sleeve and long pants. Yeah, sawtooth, ooh, that stuff will get on your skin and grab you and eat you up. They bite you big time. Well, it's been great talking to you, Nicole. i got to go, but it's wonderful to hear your voice, and you keep those fire ants under control in Spalding County. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. 404-872-0750. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Right now, 57.7 degrees this afternoon. After a slight chance of showers this morning, we'll have temperatures in the mid-60s. Very pleasant. I'm looking forward to being in Jefferson, Georgia today for Foliage Fest. If you want to buy some trees and plant them in your yard, then Jefferson is willing, and the Tree Council in Jefferson, Georgia, is willing to aid and abet that effort. Tomorrow, about the same. It's going to be a little bit warmer tomorrow afternoon. And your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Brother Charlie from down in Florida now joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Charlie, good morning. How y'all doing up there? You know what? We're doing fine. Even though you have left us, Charlie, we seem to be tolerating your your absence pretty well. Okay. Uh, well, I've been eating vine-wrapped tomatoes now for a while. Doggone. Yeah, but they're good. So anyway, this guy, somebody told me there's two kinds. you got bush tomatoes and the kind that, that just keep on growing. Yeah, yeah. They tell me if I, if I take the one that keeps on growing now and cut it back about two foot, It'll, it'll regenerate itself and start over again. Is this true? Yeah, pretty much so. The response of any plant that wants to be bigger than it is, when when you cut the top off, it says, well, doggone that Charlie, <laughs> it starts again. And so it just starts two little branches usually of uh, sprouts out to the side. It slows them down, yeah, because it takes uh-huh. a minute to regroup. But yeah, they'll regroup and start growing again. And what I was thinking about doing, too, since we're down here in the sugar sand, because yeah. I, I grew all these others out of containers. So I was wondering if I dig my hole, cut the bottom out of that container, plant it down in that hole, will that uh, concentrate my water and effects to where it'll get around the plant and go down and let the roots grow down past where the bottom of the bucket would be? Do you think that would be a good outdoor I kind of grew these in one of those yeah. fishing parts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Charlie, I love you because you're doing exactly what I would do in Florida with all that sand the water just, just right through. I would yeah. do exactly what you're doing. I would either cut the bottom out of the pots or I might cut slits and poke some holes with a drill in the side of the pot to see if any roots would come out to the side. But planting them in the soil in which they're growing in the 
in the container makes a lot of sense because that's one of the biggest problems with Florida soils. It just drains so fast and you have to dig so much organic matter into it to get the plants to hold moisture during the during the heat of the summertime. So Charlie, let me know how that works out for you, okay? Let me know. Do a little experiment to see which different way of planting the tomatoes works out best and call me back in a couple of months and we'll talk about tomatoes some more. It's 628 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.35 at News Talk WSB. 57 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, helping you, to, helping you to solve the mysteries of gardening. If you're a first-time gardener, if you have never gardened in your life, if you're thinking about gardening and you want to just ask those basic questions, this is the place to get your question answered right now. I am here to be of service to you and whatever level of gardener you are, I'll do my best to have an answer that will make sense for you and get you right on your way to becoming a gardener who knows everything about gardening. And one of the things we know about gardening is sometimes it gets cold when we don't expect it. And I think a lot of us over this past week have learned a little bit more about what the reaction of plants uh, is to cold weather. And I'll tell you what my observation is. I was out yesterday morning looking to see what had really been damaged by cold weather. And it was a really interesting observation about hydrangeas. My hydrangeas that are growing, and I have... 10 or 15 probably, underneath a great big flowering cherry in my front yard. And they're the first ones I see when I walked out the door and I walked over to them. There was hardly any damage to those leaves at all because the leaves or the branches, the bare branches of this flowering cherry were just enough, I think, to hold a little bit of ground heat in, and the leaves of those hydrangeas looked great. I was encouraged. I thought, oh, this is great. We're not going to have any problem there. Walk to my backyard where I have other hydrangeas that are lots more out in the open, and woo, they were crispy. Woo, they didn't look good. So I'm looking at them thinking, oh, this is not so great, not so good here. And I looked around then at my azaleas, and I have a bunch of white and pink and red and, you know, the various spring color azaleas. And the ones that have been open for a week... Ooh, they didn't look good either. They were brown and crinkly and droopy and falling off and blowing around in the breeze. And so I thought, well, that's, that's all it is for these azaleas. But I had enjoyed the color for a couple of weeks, so that was nice. And then there are some that are just budding and opening. And I thought, okay, these are the ones over the next couple of weeks. These are the ones that will open up. I don't think there's any bud damage, flower damage to those azaleas at all. And so that'll be fine. Now the question becomes for some of us, what about the blueberries? What about the apples? What about the peaches? What about the figs? I did see a fig, and lots of leaves were crispy on that. I'm not sure there's going to be any ultimate damage to figs because it didn't get cold enough, I don't think, to hurt the twigs themselves. It just frosted off the, the leaves that had come in the last couple of weeks. And the big fig harvest happens on branches that grow in the spring and summer, and then the figs come on them in the fall. 
And so it doesn't look to me like the new growth is going to be damaged at all on the figs. So we'll see about that. We'll see about that in August when the fig season starts as to whether we have many figs or not. So if you have a question, if you have a question about cold damage or what you should have done or what you did and it was successful or what you did and it wasn't successful, you can give me a call at 404-872-0750. Susan, 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 who's here in Atlanta and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Susan, Hi. good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, we just closed on a house, and the uh, front yard is centipede, and the backyard is uh, Bermuda, so they're still brown, but there's a lot of weeds in it. Yeah. And, you know, we're, I think we're kind of between seasons for, you know, we kind of miss doing winter weeds, but mm. it's really for spring weeds, isn't it? What can we do to try to, you know, get rid of some of the weeds that are in there now and then head off the weeds that are coming? I would be very tempted to go ahead and use one of the broadleaf weed killers, and there are three that I commonly mention. There's the Pike uh, Bonide Weed Beater, I think is the name of the Bonide product. And is it the liquid bait. or grain? Pardon? Is it granules or liquid? Oh, what is it? I see the bags and I see the containers, but I can't remember offhand which one it is. Go to Pike and oh. see. You've got the one up there in okay. uh, Brookhaven. Bonner. You can go, go talk to them or the one at Tuckle Hill and see them and find out. Uh, there's the Bayer product, the season-long weed control that Bayer makes. There's the Ortho Weed Begun Max. Any of the three of those. Get them all together. Okay. Read the label on it and see what it says about using on centipede grass, because I think in most cases it'll say cannot be used on centipede during green-up. And even though it was warm two weeks ago and it got cold these past couple of days and then it's warming up again, I don't consider these grasses greening up no, quite as much as, as the label might indicate. So I would be tempted to use one of those weed killers and not any more than the label says, of course, but I would be tempted to use them and get rid of some of the henbit and chickweed and onions and things that are going to bother you for a long time in the spring if yeah. you don't get rid of them now. That's what I have. So, and then will that will that that won't do anything to prevent whatever's seeded in there, will it? No. Uh, well, no. the Bayer, the season-long weed control, does, and I believe the weed beater as well for Bonna. I, I believe it's a pre-emergent okay. mixed in there too. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much. All I'll, right. I'll try that this weekend. Thank Good you. Good talking to you, Susan. Read the label. Follow it directly. Right. Thanks for calling. Thanks. We got Phyllis in Hampton, Georgia, down in Henry County. Phyllis, good morning. Hey, Walter. Still on the subject of weeds. Yes. I am looking for a product that will permanently, not season to season, yeah. not summer to summer, but that will permanently eliminate weeds, but still protect the soil so that the soil will be safe enough for me to plant some flowering bushes later on. Does such a product exist? No. Oh, Phyllis, I mean, you have such a great, clear question and such an indeterminate, can't-be-done answer. (laughs) There are a number of what I call soil sterilants, it might be the word, but uh, let's see, uh, Bayer makes the ground clear, and they're a couple more out there. I can't remember the name of them right offhand. But there are products that are used for oh, gravel parkways, gravel driveways, let's say, or um, fence lines where you don't want weeds growing up along a fence. And so many of them, if you spray them, gosh, they last for eight, nine months or so. Nothing will grow in that spot. 
but okay. eventually the, the chemicals wear off. I don't want anything that lasts for 10 or 15 years. I want things that eventually I could plant something under the fence or in where the gravel used to be. So using your own personal judgment about what to, what to buy, those, there are options for clearing the ground semi-permanently, but not permanent, permanent. One other quick question. Is there anything organic you know, that would be environmentally, you know, chemically safe yeah. that I could use, or would it not be as effective? Well, that's an interesting question, too, Phyllis, because there certainly are products that we quote-unquote call organic that, in my view, are simply strong versions of chemicals. One of that is vinegar. You've heard people all your life say, oh, use vinegar to kill weeds, fine, fine, fine. The household vinegar that you get in the grocery store is about 5%, and it is not strong enough to do any damage on weeds other than little bitty young weeds. Maybe. It'll burn them back then. On the other hand, you can buy what's called commercial strength, industrial acetic acid, which smells exactly like vinegar. And so people confuse it and say, well, this is vinegar. I'm using this vinegar on my weeds, but it's really concentrated acid. It is the same sort of danger to use using sulfuric acid and hydrochloric acid and all those. You could then use the industrial acetic acid, and it'll burn things back handily because it's simply an acid. It burns things down. That's what it does. There are more, more or less uh, uh, industrial detergents. There's uh, at least one that I have used myself pretty much uh, consistently for two or three years. It's a commercial detergent, and it's called, it says on the label, organic blah, 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 blah soap, but it is a, a plant-killing soap. I think it's, the name is Axe, A-X-X-E, Axe. So that didn't really answer your question, if there's something comparable, Phyllis. Well, I will give you a resource. It might be useful for you. All right. Back oh, two years ago now, I made a web page on my own website, which is nothing but organic herbicides and some commentary about which ones work better than others and which ones work in certain situations. And I have links to how to buy them, mostly to Amazon, because sometimes you can't find them at the nurseries around Atlanta. But they're available. They're out there. So if you go to my WalterReeves.com website and just type um, organic herbicide, organic weed killer, something like that, in the search line, it'll take you to the page, and you can see the ones that I think have a chance of working, A, and where to get them, B, and maybe you can find a solution to your own problem, C. Thank you, Walter. Phyllis, it's my pleasure to be of service to you. Thanks for calling. We've got Evelyn, Evelyn and Noonan, three ladies in a row, three female callers right here. And here's Evelyn the third. Hey, Evelyn, good morning. Good morning, Walter. I am calling about scalping your zoysia lawn. Yes. I got a newsletter from the people that, <clears throat> I don't know, spray and fertilize my lawn. Yeah. And part of their newsletter mentioned that. And I wasn't sure. I was not sure about it. A friend of mine said, oh, you can do this with Bermuda, yeah. but not with Zoysia. And I said, well, I'm going to make a point of waking up early. <laughs> Call the alive. dude on the radio. I am. And so that's where I am. <laughs> I'm glad you called because it's not a good idea to All scout right. Zoysia. And I'll tell you why. 
Because yes. your neighbors are going to say, why aren't you out there scalping your zoysia like we told you to, Evelyn? And your company's going to come back and say, man, we have our mower right here. We'll scalp your zoysia for you. Tell them that Walter said yes. that the reason you don't do it is because it sometimes can lead to cold damage. And I'll give you a perfect example of that, not with zoysia, but with Bermuda grass. And yes. I talked to Mark Banta, who's my friend at the Piedmont Park. And, of course, at Piedmont Park here in Atlanta, they have big fields. They have concerts and festivals and things like that going on at Piedmont Park. And Mark said, you know, we had some Bermuda grass. It was probably 45% greened up before the cold weather this week. He said, ooh, the frost got it. Ooh, yeah. the frost burned it down to the ground. And anytime you have a grass, zoysia, Bermuda, whatever, that sprouts and is ready to start greening up and it has some damage done to it, whether it's by cold or by herbicide or by somebody mowing it down to the ground and <clears throat> taking all the green leaves off, that's not smart. And zoysia, even though it doesn't have much green right now, has that brown layer of dead foliage from last year, which is still protecting it in case. And don't forget, we've had oh. freezes in, a in April before, but it protects the zoysia just in case there's a cold snap. If they oh, want to mow, if they just got to get your money and somehow, some way, Phyllis, tell them not to scalp it, but to still keep it at about an inch and a half to two inches and sort of level things out. And that will make your lawn look nice. It'll still be brown, but it will not get down into the part that would remove protection for the little crown of zoysia plants. All right. Then I'm going to throw out one more question. Real quick. Fast. Armadillos. Uh, is there... I've used, I, I don't know, whatever they put out that's supposed to kill the worms that are supposed yeah, to be nah, the thing mm -hmm. that attracts the armadillos. And last year, I just lost part of my lawn. Sure, they dig it up. Oh, they dig it, it right up. Be crazy. There's nothing we can do is except sit out that night and shoot them. Phyllis? <laughs> if you I mean, feel like, or, excuse me, Evan, if you feel that, like doing I mean, that. Is there anything else that can be done? No. There's not that. a repellent. The only repellent that you might consider here, Evelyn, is a electric fence, an electric fence about 10 inches off the ground around the perimeter of your lawn. If you can maintain an electric fence, that will keep armadillos out because they do not like to be shocked. So get a dog electric fence, put it on little plastic posts about 10, 12 inches maybe off the ground, set it on, and call me in two months and tell me which armadillo wanted to come to your yard anymore. And I'm pretty sure none of them will. At 6.49, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security at 655. 57 degrees outside. The nicely warming up this afternoon. The weather's going to be really nice. Maybe a couple of showers this morning, perhaps tomorrow even nicer, warmer then, and not too much of a chance of showers, although there will be some overcast in the future for you and me. The full forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Michael comes to us right this very minute. Hey, Michael. Morning. Hello. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Uh, I have a question on blueberries. Uh, I do a lot of picking up in the higher elevations. Sure. They seem to be pretty cold hardy. 
and some of the sweetest ones I've ever had. It, how can I make blueberries here in Holly Springs just as sweet as the ones I find in 5,000 feet and above? The big thing that makes a blueberry or any fruit sweet is the availability of sunshine. I recognize that some species are a little more adapted to shade, and you may have seen some up in the mountains that were uh, sort of in a shady woodland sort of area, but of commercial blueberries, the ones homeowners can buy and grow in your backyard, rabbit eye blueberries and highbush blueberries, sunshine makes the sweetness. That's what makes sugar, carbohydrates, sunshine. So that's the first thing, is to have them in the sunshine. Number two, make sure the pH of the soil is nice and low, nice and acidic, but it's real well-drained. If you're going to plant some blueberries, you know, Michael, the best thing you can add to the soil is um, peat moss, because peat moss is acid, number one, and it promotes a well-drained, broken-up clay soil, number two. So about a cubic foot of peat moss to every uh, blueberry that you plant would make me happy. Make a blueberry happy, too, and make you happy third. I have some established blueberries that are quite bitter. Could I till the soil up around it and kind of mend it? Well, I wouldn't till it up, but one of the things you can do is use a spading fork and poke a lot of holes around them and put peat moss on top of the ground and then sort of stab it in, you know, shake it in, stab it in, whatever you want to call it, by the spading fork or the pitchfork, and that amends the soil without damaging the roots because the roots of a blueberry are really shallow, so no tilling is going to be a good thing. A really shallow mashing with a pitchfork, that might help you a good bit. At 6.58, we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. Hallucinate a green light. 